remember, some of you might remember um, back in the day there was an ad advertisement for the TV Times. It was, it was back in the olden days when we had to have uh, you know, a printed thing to tell us what was on the telly. And the strap line for these adverts was, there's so much in it. And I find that with the Bible, and particularly sometimes you come to a really familiar passage and you read it again and you just find something new. There's so much in it. You know, it's easy to switch off and say, oh, I've heard that one before. But when you read it again, you know, it's a joy just before Christmas. Um, I, I was leading a, a little group. Um, we were reading the Christmas story. And over six weeks, we read the Christmas story. Really familiar passages. We hear them every year. And yet we found so much, so many new things, so much new that God wants to teach us. And, uh, and I found this passage, this, this thing, this story, this, this scripture, this word to us. Uh, I think there's so much for us all. Now, I, know, I realize that sort of uh, put, put me under a bit of pressure. You're sitting there thinking he's going to come up with some amazing new insight <laughs> into this very familiar passage. But uh, I'll, I'll just leave that to the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a, a picture of a storm, and I... And I and I found this uh, little story um, just, to, uh, just to kick us off, just to get things in our mind, about an artist who was commissioned by a wealthy man to paint something that would depict peace. And after a great deal of thought, the artist painted a beautiful country scene. There were green fields with cows standing them. There were birds in the blue sky. There was a little lovely village, probably somewhere in the Cotswolds, in the distant valley. And the artist gave the picture to the man, the, the man who'd commissioned it, and there was a look of disappointment in his face. And the man said to the artist, this isn't a picture of true peace. It isn't right. Go back. Try again. So the artist went back to his studio, thought for a little while about peace, then went to his canvas and began to paint. And when he was finished, there on the canvas was a beautiful picture of a mother holding a sleeping baby in her arms, smiling lovingly at the child. And he thought, surely this is a picture of true peace. And he hurried and gave it the, to the picture to the man who commissioned it. But again, the wealthy man refused the painting and asked him to try again. And the artist returned to his studio and he was discouraged. And he was tired. And he was disappointed. And he was fed up. And the anger swelled up in him. And he felt the rejection of this man and he had prayed again for inspiration to paint the picture of true peace. And then all of a sudden, an idea came to him. And he rushed to his canvas again, and he began to paint as he'd never painted before. And when he finished, he hurried to show the man his picture. And he gave the painting to the man, who studied it carefully for a few moments. And the artist held his breath. And the man said, now, this is a picture of true peace. He accepted the painting, paid the artist, and everyone was happy. And what was this picture of true peace? The picture showed a stormy sea pounding against a cliff. The artist had captured the fury of the wind as it whipped across the sea and the land. He'd caught the black rain clouds that were laced with streaks of lightning, 
The sea was roaring in turmoil. The waves churning the dark sky filled with the power of a furious thunderstorm. And right in the middle of the picture, just under the cliff, the artist had painted a small bird, safe and dry, snuggled in her nest under the rocks, under the cliff. The bird was at peace amidst the storm that raged around her. That is a picture of peace in the midst of life. We have this story of this storm, and I suspect that unless you've been in a boat in a truly dangerous storm, you probably won't quite get what the disciples were going through in this story. But Mark has a specific purpose for relating the story, for telling us, which uh, perhaps as we, as we read it, we begin to discover. Perhaps it's one of those passages that speak to us on a personal level in a way that some don't quite do. And I pray that it might speak to us today. But going back to, uh, going back to our depth course, first of all, we've got to do our exegesis, haven't we? Before we do our hermeneutics, we've got to understand my, what this passage might be about. So we begin in, uh, in verse 35, 36. We're told that that day that when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. There are several clues from the beginning of Mark's gospel that tells us that Jesus' ministry was extremely demanding. Just dealing with all these crowds that were following him around. You might want to read the co-text, the bits before, to set it in the context. To hear all that Jesus had been up to. He'd met with unending line of those who needed healing or needed to be released from the demons. He'd spent days teaching and preaching and all this, this would have left Jesus, this ministry would have left Jesus in this state of exhaustion. Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath to the aggravation of the Pharisees. He'd followed by appointing his twelve for the special task of being apostles. He'd healed people, he'd cast out demons. He brought himself into conflict with the religious establishment. On the heels of this, he tells the parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed. There's all this stuff going on. And he must have been exhausted. He must have reached that point where he just wanted to get away. I know that, um, or some of us will know, that the act of preaching although alone, although it may seem simple, <laughs> it may seem easy, but it's exhausting. I'll have to go home later on and, 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 and have a little sleep. <laughs> it's mentally, emotionally, spiritually taxing. And Jesus would have experienced that. And he says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. The, 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 sort of the, the Greek sense of the words is, let's, of let's go to the other side, reveals an urgency, a decision to leave. It's more like, okay, let's, let's go over, let's cross. We've got to go, we've got to go now. He was so tired, he needed some rest. 
And we're told that the, uh, when the disciples they took, left the multitude, they took Jesus with him. And there's a wonderful little phrase, just as he was. I do love the little, little um, details that we get in these, these readings. Just as he was. It's a, in some ways, it's a curious phrase. It seems that you know, Jesus was so tired, he just wanted to get away. We're just going to go. And they said, okay, let's just go. There's no going back to get anything. We were, we were joking the other week. You know, he didn't even go back to get his coat. He didn't even go back to get his cardi. You know, he would have regretted that later on in the midst of the storm. He didn't go back for anything. He just had to go. They had to go. Just as he was, they got to go. And they went. Another little detail that says that there were other boats. People tried to follow. Even though he was trying to escape, there were other boats. Jesus got in this boat. The disciples went with him. There was a, a, a boat that was discovered some years ago that matched the sort of pattern of these New Testament boats. And they would probably hold about 10 to 15 people. So Jesus got on this boat probably with most of the other disciples, if not all of them. And so they went uh, across the lake. And we hear in verse 37, 38 of a, of a storm. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly storm, nearly swamped. Again, the word here for storm can mean uh, the worst storm. It can mean hurricane. It can mean earthquake. It was more, that Mark was saying, that this is more than just a run-of-the-mill storm. These extreme storms were not unknown in the Sea of Galilee. It's surrounded by high mountains and um, the, the winds can come from one end that funnel through that cause the storms that can materialize very quickly. Uh, and a storm in the evening, as this was, was especially dangerous. And we can see that, the, that we can sense the severity of the storm by the fact that the disciples were terrified, even though some of them were experienced fishermen who probably had weathered many storms before. I remember a friend uh, a number of years ago who was a nervous traveller and he disliked flying. And he said when he was on a plane, he said when that sort of that, that bell came over the, the, the tannoy and the ca captain said, we're running into a bit of turbulence, please fasten your safety belts. He said what he would do is he would watch the air crew. And he said that the way that they professionally just went about their business, they'd been here before, they'd seen this, they were not... They were not concerned, and he said, I would feed off that. I don't think he, what he would do if he suddenly saw a panic in, <laughs> in their eyes. I'm not sure what he would do. But here we have some experienced travelers, some experienced seafarers panicking. This wasn't just a run-of-the-mill storm. This was something worse. Something worse. We're told the waves broke over the boat. Matthew and Luke are more vivid. Matthew says the ship was covered with the waves. And Luke says they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Whatever, whatever of the three gospel stories you read, there's clearly there was a sense of real danger. And all the time, Jesus was asleep on a cushion in the stern. 
begs the question, doesn't it? Who brought the cushion? <laughs> it's interesting, in the gospel story, it's the only time we hear of Jesus sleeping is in the storm. How could he sleep through that? Some people can sleep through anything. I'm married to somebody who can sleep through anything. <laughs> Val's mum used to say that Val could sleep on a washing line. <laughs> she could sleep through anything. Some of us, perhaps you remember the great, the great storm of 1987. Some people slept through that. Yeah. 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 I remember going to, um, to an FA Cup match at, uh, at Upton Park. For those who don't know, Upton Park is, was the true home of football. <laughs> and uh, I went with a friend, and he brought his four-year-old son. It was about, the th I think it was the first game that he'd ever been to. And it was one of those really exciting cup ties, nail-biting, really loud... Upton Park was one of those really close, you know, grounds where, where the noise was incredible. And people were you know, jumping up on their feet and shouting, um, singing their heads off. One day I'll teach you I'm forever blowing bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> singing their heads off. But with all this going on, from about halfway through the first half, this four-year-old just slept. <laughs> he slept the whole way through. I think we won 3-0, I think, if I remember rightly. Phil. <laughs> People can sleep through anything. And here's Jesus sleeping through this storm. I've come across this comment from, a, a, from somebody who, writing about this passage. He writes that it's a, a fascinating insight into the incarnation. He says... Though in a moment Jesus would calm the storm with an extraordinary display of power, he first slept in a weary body. In this grand display, the opposites of weakness and omnipotence do not clash, but coalesce in a beautiful harmony, too magnificent to be the product of human imagination. You see the weakness and the power of Jesus coming together. They told the, woke, the disciples woke him and said, don't you care if we drown? There's a real urgency. The, these experienced fishermen come to the end of their human ability and they turn to Jesus for help. And in verse 39 and 40 we see he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And then he says to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus stood up, rebuked the wind. Literally, he means he ordered it or censured it. The same Greek word that was used by Jesus when he commanded evil spirits. The same word he used in chapter 1 when driving out the impure spirit in Capernaum. He wanted to show them his power over the forces of nature as he did over the demons. 
Jesus says, quiet, be still. Literally, be muzzled. I love that. You know, the idea of muzzling a ferocious lion. Jesus commanded the sea to be muzzled. And immediately Mark tells us it was completely calm. Suddenly, simply, at the command of Jesus, the winds ceased, the rain stopped, the waves became gentle. And all fear of drowning abruptly ended. And then Jesus turns it into a teaching moment. He asked them why they were so fearful. Why did they have no faith? They had seen Jesus do so much. They had experienced his power several times up to this point. But when the rubber hit the road, when the going got tough, they had no faith. The disciples were insiders in Jesus' ministry, yet they still didn't fully understand it. They still didn't get it. But nor could they until the crucifixion and resurrection. Throughout Mark's gospel, and we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, we have what the scholars call the messianic secret. If you sit down and read Mark's gospel, if you read it in a whole, you'll find that several times when things happen, Jesus says to the person, if he heals somebody, he said, don't, don't tell anybody. Go home, don't tell anybody. Almost as if he wants to keep it a secret. It wasn't that he didn't want to, he didn't want them to share what had happened. What he wanted was that they, they didn't just follow him just because of what he did. After the feeding of the 5,000, they follow him and he says, yes, cause it's only because I've filled your tummies. Only because I gave you something to eat. He didn't want people to follow him because of the miracles. He didn't want people to follow him because of the stories. He wanted people to follow him because of who he was. And so Mark tells this story, and the, the sort of crunch comes when Jesus, um, Jesus uh, challenges the disciples, and they turn around and say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? The main reason that Mark and the gospel writers record this story is to, is to emphasize that central theme. Who is Jesus? You've got to decide who Jesus is. And he wants everyone to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so as we read this passage, perhaps there are some things that we can apply. Now maybe you've already done so. Certainly if you're going through a storm. Maybe already you've put yourself in the middle of it. But there are some things to think about. To apply to ourselves. Good to ask ourselves at the beginning of New Year. Jesus said, let's get in the boat, let's go to the other side. challenge is, are you going to get in the boat? Are you ready to go to new places with Jesus? Have you even decided to get in the boat with Jesus in the, 
for the first time. Are you going to get in the boat? No going back to get your coat or your cardi or your life jacket. Are you going to get in the boat? Are you going to surrender yourself to Jesus? Are you going to let go of the things that you hold on to? It's a good time, the beginning of the year, isn't it? To ask yourself, so what, what are the things I'm holding on to that I need to let go of? What are we holding on to for comfort or for safety? The more difficult and dangerous life appears to get, the more we hold things, don't we? We cling to things. And as we get in the boat with Jesus, are there things, is there things that the Holy Spirit might be challenging you about that you need to let go of? The second thing we might think about is the obvious one. What this story tells us is that when we get into the boat with Jesus, it does not exempt us from storms and really bad storms. The storms that take us to the brink. There is nowhere in the Bible, there is nowhere in the gospel stories that says following Jesus is easy. It's a walk in the park. It's not. Following Jesus is about in the boat in the storm. Probably one of the most difficult bits for the disciples to understand in the story is having got in the boat and the storm arises. And they're sitting there thinking, but this was Jesus' idea. He should have known. We were, again, say before Christmas, looking at the story of, the, of Mary and Joseph. You know, Mary and Joseph have these wonderful sort of uh, visions of angels and, they, and God speaks to them through the angels and then they have to do this incredible journey when she's several months pregnant to Bethlehem. And you can imagine on the road, Mary saying, whose idea was this? Bad enough having to make this journey. But when you're pregnant, what was God thinking? But here they are, the the disciples realise they're in this boat. And perhaps it was for the first time that they realized that, that it dawned on them that following Jesus might cost them their lives. Perhaps they're not a challenge that many of us experience, but we know as we've prayed already for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, that's exactly the deal. You follow Jesus, it might cost you your life. Following Jesus is not easy. When we, en- when we enter a storm in our lives, we naturally sort of recoil from it. Who in their right mind wants to experience pain or suffering or bewilderment or trial? But sometimes that's where we need to be, to follow Jesus. Thirdly, finally, that gives you some hope, doesn't it? Finally, Jesus challenges the disciples to have faith, not fear. He calls them to trust in him. That's the heart of the story, that they trust in him. Being in the boat with Jesus is enough. 
being in the boat with Jesus meant the boat was never going to sink. You know, history is littered with mass big projects that come to a that end up to be a damp squib. We've, we saw that uh, this week. Was that we've had all this build, build up, haven't we, about this rocket that was going to be launched from Cornwall and whatever. And everybody switches on their telly to watch this thing and then suddenly comes out and says, oh, sorry, there's an anomaly. And millions of pounds of space stuff disappears up in smoke. It all sort of comes to an end. But that was never going to happen. In the Salvation of the World project, there was never going to be a meeting can you imagine a meeting at central heavenly headquarters and someone's reporting on, the, on, the, on the, how we're getting on with the plan to save the world and they say, well, we, you know, we, we've reported on Jesus has come and we've, we've done that and everything's going well and then somebody comes in and says, oh, sorry, there's been a boating accident. <laughs> it was never going to end like that, was it? It was never going to end like that. While Jesus is in your boat... Things are never going to end badly. They will always end to his glory. Whatever, however bad the storm is, if you're in the boat with Jesus, it's going to be all right. You may be going through a storm right now. I want to say that to you. If you're in the boat with Jesus, it's going to be all right. He's with you. Trust him. Trust him. It's a familiar story. It speaks to us on so many levels. Are you going to get in the boat? Are you going to leave what you need to leave behind behind? Are you going to let go? Are you going to trust him? Are you ready to go to the other side? To a new place with God? Being in the boat with Jesus is enough. Let's pray.